0: Welcome to an encouraging word from Pastor Elliot Warren from Cross-Culture Church in Houston, Texas. For many years, I've been thinking, you know, the fear of God is missing in the church. And I have believed there's going to be a great move of God. And with that move of God, that the fear of God is going to be restored. And I've pictured how that's going to happen. And we've been praying for it to happen. We've prayed for that a lot. God, restore the fear of God to the church. You know, there have been so many maybe well-intentioned, ultra-seeker-sensitive kind of movements that don't want to say anything that's going to make anybody feel bad. You know, they don't want to say anything that might make somebody not come back next week because maybe it makes them feel bad, right? Well, it might look like initially that that's having some success. But you see, what God says about that is, what it's doing is, it has removed the fear of God somehow. There's no fear of God. There's there's no fear of continuing to walk in sin. Or to do things that are not of God. There's no fear of eternal consequences, you see. And so those things God has wanted to deal with. But anyway, I've been thinking, how's that going to happen? How's God going to deal with that? And I just thought we're going to pray and poop. God's going to show up on a Sunday morning or whatever night, or maybe a prayer meeting. And the, the presence will be so strong that we'll be on our faces and the fear of God will be there. But I don't believe that's actually how it's going to happen. I don't believe that's going to be the major way that it starts. I believe that experience will be sort of like that one day in church, but I don't believe that's how the fear of God is going to come back to the church. And I don't believe that's how it's going to come back to the earth. I believe it's going to come back because God begins to deal with things that displease him. And when he deals with things that displease him, it causes the fear of God to come back. When people see God dealing with things, they begin to think more clearly. There's this story in Acts chapter 5, which is a very unusual and remarkable story. It's that one about Ananias and Sapphira. It says these people were in the early church, and they had sold a possession, and then they go to Peter now, everybody was selling things, by the way, and just giving the money away. Think about that. They are free. They are free. They know God's going to take care of them. And God moved on their hearts. They're selling lands, giving all of the money to the poor. There were some needs in that time. They were giving the money away for those needs. And here, Ananias and Sapphira sold. They brought part of it to the apostles, right? Now, I want to just say there was probably a lot of excitement about giving, you know, you ever see somebody do something great for God and maybe you go, oh, I wish I could do that. Or maybe somebody get attention for doing something good and maybe in your heart for a moment you might go, oh, I wish I could get attention for that, right? That's immaturity in flesh, right? And pride. Well, they were watching everybody else. Man, look, look at that. Man, they gave away that. Oh, wow. do You look at it. You see, they, they saw all the, the glory surrounding there and there was glory there in the house. But anyway, they come and they go, here's the money. Here's all the money for what we just sold. And Peter, he doesn't say, thank you, but the Lord's telling me that you didn't give all of it, but I thank you for what you did give. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, we appreciate the little bit that you get. No, he doesn't say that. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? He could have kept back part of it and said, hey, I'm giving part of myself. No, he's acting like I sold it to give the whole thing. While it remained, was it not your own? You could have kept it. And after it sold, was it not in your control? You could have done what you wanted to. But why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You didn't lie just to me. You lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died right there. Now think about that. Then his wife comes in. I won't read that whole story, but she comes in. She doesn't know that just happened to her husband. And I think it's amazing that Peter doesn't tell her. I mean, if it was me, I'd be going, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I was just telling him the word of the Lord, and he fell down. Oh, this is his wife. I can't. Oh, his wife. I can't believe his wife. She comes in. The Holy Spirit's on him. He says, did you sell it for such and such a price? She's in cahoots with the whole thing, with her husband. She says, yeah, we sold it for that price. Then Peter said, how is it you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of those who've buried your husband are at the door and they're going to carry you out. She hardly even had time to grasp the fact that her husband had just died and poop, she's gone. She was like going to say, oh, my husband's dead. No, she's like, oh, my poop, she's gone. I mean, it's amazing. Ananias and Sapphira, God dealt with something that was important for him to deal with. We don't like to say God deals with things like that. But sometimes when God is doing something and He's moving, things have to get brought right to allow the fear of God to come in a measure and the presence of God to come in a certain dimension so that God can restore what God wants to restore. And God wants to restore the fear of God to the church. Guess what happened after Ananias and Sapphira fell down? Think about it. Guess what happened? What would you do? Right. If you hadn't been, you know, honorable with God in some way, or you'd lied to somebody or whatever, you'd probably call them on your cell phone right there. All these other people I could just see, hey, call this guy, tell him, hey, I'm sorry, I told you this horse and he's got bad teeth. You know, I'm sure people are like, hey, we got to get stuff right, right now. You know, there was a move of God. But anyway, look what it says happened. So great fear came on all the church and all those who heard these things. What's he talking about? Fear in general? No. The fear of God. The fear of God came on this church. Now, I want you to understand something here. What happened at the beginning is connected to the fear of God. God judging what he is displeased with. Did what? It brought the fear of God to a new level. When God stepped in to history when god stepped in and he went beyond they didn't take them out and bring them to a court no god did it himself god stepped into things there's some times when you just look and just in history you go man god just stepped in and dealt with things that no man could have dealt with he uncovered things nobody could have uncovered he saw things and look he brought it to the surface." nobody would have known about what happened with ananias and sapphira but god knew and it mattered to god and it bothered god that they were using this environment for them to get glory when god dealt with it guess what people see that and they go oh god's real god's here god's dealing with man and the fear of god came in them guess what happened as a result of the fear of God coming in them. The next step is, and through, this is the next, the very next verse, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, and they even brought the sick out on the streets, laid them on beds and couches, so that the shadow of Peter would just fall on some of them. And then it says, a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented and had unclean spirits. That little nutshell is like a nutshell of amazing miracles, amazing revival, and a coming to God, and people turning their lives over to God. Do not think, those three elements are not connected god dealing with things the fear of god coming and then a move of god that is amazing and mighty that brings revival brings miracles you see these things happen in the context of the fear of god and i believe this is going to be how god begins to bring the fear of god back into the house of god at a new level may he do this just with preaching but i just want to say if it ends up needing this kind of thing where we begin to go oh wow look what god just exposed oh wow look what god just exposed in the body of christ oh wow look what that ministry was doing oh wow look what that group of people oh oh god you see god does things like that. Not just to clean things up, but also because he wants the fear of God brought back into the earth. I want to just say, too, some people will go, oh, well, it happens, happens in the church, but it won't necessarily happen out in the world. I say, yes, indeed it will. Indeed it will, particularly where there are people that believe God, that are believers living for the Lord in those places. In that time of the early church, there was this King Herod. Right? And King Herod, this is later after the event we just had. It's quite a while later, but it's in that early church environment. King Herod goes and makes a speech. And the people started shouting, the voice of a God, the voice of a God. He's not a man, he's a God. And he's going, that was a good speech, right? But guess what? God wasn't pleased with that. And it says, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he didn't give glory to God. Is this a believer? No. He's a secular man standing in the way of God, getting God's glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. God struck him, this man. But then it goes, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Why did? The, why is that connected? Look at this. This man opposing God, this man who thinks he's something. Oh, look, God brought him down like that. But he goes, but look, God's getting involved. But the word of the Lord. Multiplied and grew, and I fully believe I fully believe I've had this sensing i had had an unusual word come to me the other day, and i and I go, What is this? What is this God? What are you trying to tell me and then I go and I, I'm going, Wow, I believe God's getting ready. When I say getting ready, I have to say this many times God gives me a word, and when he gives me a word, it just seems so real. I think it's going to happen right then, right and and so I just have to say. I don't know when God's going to do something. I do believe I can see, though, the move of God already because I've seen hunger like I've not seen in a long time. I can feel the change all around me. I've seen people being blessed, coming into their promises like I have never seen before. People that have been believing God for something, and all of a sudden, there it is. It's starting to come together. And I'm just blown away going, wow, God, look. It's so great to see people come into their blessings, come into their promises, things they've been believing for a long time. This is a season of that kind of thing happening, right? So I believe it's also very likely going to be the season where a lot of things get judged and God begins to clean up things and move things around and where He begins to hear the cries of those that have had injustice done against them, where God is the one Himself that steps into history and He begins to deal with things and set things aright. And let me just say, sometimes when we want to fix things, we want to fix justice. We don't actually even know what to do, how to do it, where to go, exactly even where the problem is. And I'll tell you, the origin of these problems will many times point the finger somewhere else, right? And blame others, just like there was a setup here. You know, had this thing gone wrong, who would have been blamed? The two scoundrels. They would have been blamed, right? Oh, they they said this, they did this. The other people, they're going to be taken care of. But anyway, my point is, God knows how to fix things. We don't always know how to fix things. We just do our best. We're faithful to do our best. We're faithful to get involved as God leads and shows us. But beyond all of that, we've got to trust God, that God will get involved in our history. God will get involved in our nation again, not only in the church, but that God will also set things right in this country. We need that in a major way. There have been revivals. There have been two major revivals in our nation. And from what I've read, they say that the the, the country had gone just about as ungodly, but in a different direction than now. I can't imagine it going at un, in an ungodly direction any faster than ours is now with every kind of crazy, ridiculous thought. You know, the Word of God says because people reject God and they uh, they reject uh, honoring God, their minds go crazy. That's pretty much what it says. And that's what's happened to our society. I mean, the, the one thing I've mentioned before is, how is it that you can't tell if you had a, a baby boy or a baby girl? How is it you can't figure that out until they tell you what they are? That doesn't even make sense. And how is it you're going to have children, and you put them under the pressure of, now you have to decide are you a girl or a boy? Now if you don't know, now you might not know right now, but when you get older, you're going to, I mean, Think about the stupidity of that. Think about the darkness that's in that thought. I mean, I could go on and on about things that are happening in our culture right now. It's it's the most darkened thing, the most stupid, darkened mind, you know, could hardly have thought of that, you know, 10 years ago. But no, these things are coming out today and it's, it's just evidence of a darkened mind. Anyway, I want to mention a few things about this story here just maybe two or three things just for you to think about and for us to consider as we're praying because I believe God wants us to partner. You see, God doesn't just want to do things. God wants us to be a part of it and we're going to get to that probably next week. But God wants us to be a part of what he's doing. We need to see what he's doing. We need to rise up. We need to see our role as being greater than just watching what's going on. He hears our prayers. He understands our decrees. The Bible says we've been called to rule and reign. The Bible says we have certain roles in the earth. So we're going to look at that next week because I believe right now there's an extremely important role that the church and the body of Christ has that we've not been walking in. But let me just mention a couple of things about this Naboth story here. First of all, I just want to mention that this is an extreme example of how corruption... Can be so pervasive in a place. It's almost unbelievable how pervasive the corruption was. Think about this. We could probably, any of us, go find two liars, right? Probably we we know two liars. Almost all of us probably know two liars. Maybe you have not know two liars where you say, hey, will you go lie for me? And they'd lie for you. I don't know. I'm just saying we we could probably find two liars. But they found two liars. They were willing to lie for pay and excuse an innocent man, and he was going to get killed. After a while, I'm guessing, okay, I guess you could find two really, really wicked men like that. But you see, Jezebel wrote her letter to the elders and the nobles of the city. These are the ones that everybody is looking up to, to take care of them and to look after them. She sent letters to these people, and they were all involved. They all got letters, every official, and they were all involved in this thing. Not one of them even wanted to know, why are we going to accuse and kill this innocent man? They did not even want to know why. They're just like, okay, okay. I mean that is amazing to me that society and any group of people can be corrupted that much and I have to believe even at that time in their culture that the people that were living in that city with Naboth could not have believed it would have been that corrupt but you see I believe that's another step where I, where God's going that anger's me so badly because these people are supposed to be the gatekeepers of the city. They're supposed to be the ones taking care of the population and the citizens. Rather, they're just concerned about their own power, their own this, their own that, and being right with Jezebel. And boom, look what happened. If I were God, and I saw a whole group of people that are supposed to be public servants doing something like that, Man, I'm telling you, that would really get underneath my skin, so to speak, if I had skin. But this is the normal course for society and for leaders when there is a lack of the fear of God. Is that not true? There is, when, when there's no fear of God, this is exactly where things go. And I want to just express this again. Right now, the need of the hour is for the fear of God to come into our land. The need of the hour is for the fear of God to come into the church. And it needs to also come into our culture. It needs to hit every section of society. And we need to begin to be those that will be praying and taking our place as the body of Christ. And we're saying, God, be exalted in the earth. Your name be exalted in every nook and cranny of our culture. You be exalted. God, let the light come in every nook and cranny of our culture in this nation. And God, your will be done, not just in my church. Your will be done in this nation. Your will be done in big business. Your will be done in government. Your will be done. Now, that's talking about people coming into alignment with God. I know there's also the thing about your will being done is God's going to bless people. God's going to heal. That's God's will too. But today, I'm just emphasizing this because I believe we're in an amazing time of God's spirit being poured out and of things changing and of God dealing with things and of everything breaking open. And we see God move in a way like we have never seen before. That's my hope. That's my hope from what I see. And I believe it's coming. I believe things are coming. Now, another thing I want to mention about this story is look how cunning Satan is. Man, he's so cunning. You have to remember, he's a master of deception and manipulation and deceit. I mean, nobody can lie like Satan can. Nobody can manipulate people like Satan can. Nobody can use uh, whatever, like emotions or circumstances. Nobody knows how to put things together like Satan can to make things look a certain way, right? Think about this story. What was the ruse about? Why did they even do it? You think about that? Why did they even need to do it? Why didn't they just kill them? I mean, it looks like all the leaders were were in charge of it anyway. Well, it's because there were righteous that were still in that city. There were still righteous people there. So the whole roost, the whole play, the whole program, everything was put together as a play for the righteous. Do you understand that? That makes sense, guys? It was it was done to convince the righteous because these are the ones that need to either be influenced or intimidated to be able to get away with it, right? No, what they do? They did their deed in front of these people and to convince them, they did something in the name of righteousness. Wow, they're using the law unlawfully. You've probably heard laws are no better than those people that govern, and that's very, very true. Good laws don't do any good if you've got bad people governing those laws. But anyway, here you look at this and you just go, wow, this is a horrible thing. They used the, the concept of righteousness as the reason they're going to stone him. Look, he blasphemed God. He did something against God and against the king. They stand up, they accuse him of an unrighteous act. And according to the law, they will have him stoned. So guess what? The leaders and the nobles then who were there in the high area, places where Naboth was seated. They take him out and the leaders and the elders actually kill him. That's amazing. Now, that's another thing. It's almost like they killed him in my name. You know what? God thinking they killed him in, in the name of righteousness and they're accusing him. Oh, my. That's getting under my skin. You see what I'm saying? I just thought about, you know, what what about the uh, responses you're going to get here? You know, I, I I was thinking, what do you think the people said that day when they accused Naaman? You know, I, I'm guessing some people knew Naaman really well. I bet some people are going, oh, no, there's no way he could have done that. And we know him. He, he's my cousin or we see him every day. He's in church. He leads prayer meetings. There's no way Naboth did that. He's never done something like that. You know, we don't understand what happened. It doesn't make sense. And then there's probably some that maybe knew him a little bit. Oh, they saw him in the grocery store or wherever. You know, they, they, they knew him a little bit. They, they were probably going, wow, did you hear what Naboth did? Did you hear what Naboth did? I mean, there's a few people saying he, he didn't do it. But there's witnesses. There's a bunch of witnesses. And, and all the leaders, all the leaders are saying that he did it. It's, he, he had to have done it. And they stoned him right there. I mean, there's evidence he did it right there. We just never would have imagined. Naboth would have done that. You never know. You never know. And then there's another group of people that are probably just going, something just doesn't feel right about what's going on here. I don't know what's going on. Some say this. Some say that. Some say this. I don't know. All I know is something's not right these days in what's going on in our nation. And we're just going to pray because we don't know what happened. We don't know who did what, but we're going to pray and we're going to ask God, God, you deal with whatever needs to get dealt with. God, you handle whatever needs to be handled. God, we're asking you for justice. God, we're asking you to pour out your life. God, we're asking you to intervene in this hour. Let me tell you, Those individuals that will pull back and that have a heart for righteousness and that will pray that in the earth are fulfilling a God-given responsibility to pray. God, your will be done in this earth. The reason Jesus told us to pray it wasn't just to have some religious something to say. He said to do it because it works and it's our responsibility to get God into the earth in every single place possible. So those people that are backing up and going, God, something's not right. God, bring justice. God, you see everything. You know every dark area. I believe that it was because of the persevering prayers of people for justice. For the light to shine, for God to deal with things. I believe it had been happening. And I believe right here at this moment, in this nation, this native situation, boom, it's God's time. And He says, it's time for me to answer all those prayers. I love it in that, in the um, prayer in um, the New Testament where Jesus is saying, teaching us how to pray. And He says, you pray and never give up. And then what does he use as an example? A widow. Who's a widow? Back then, it was someone who had a lot of weakness. Someone who you didn't have. Normally, they didn't have the resources of everyone else. They were dependent on so many others. He's trying to use someone who's very weak and doesn't have much influence in society as his example. This person who needed what? Justice. Why does he use justice as what she's praying for? He uses justice because that is the example of something that everybody knows God wants to answer. He's using this, everybody knows God wants it. Here's the most weak person. Even if that person will continue and hold on to God, will not God bring about justice For those that cry out, wow, God loves to bring about justice. And God wants us to cry out. He wants us to cry out for truth. He wants us to cry out that the darkness be exposed. He wants us to cry out that things be removed and put in order. Things we can't see. Things we don't know about. But we know something's not right. You see, it's so important. You back up and you don't get all emotionally involved. And you don't act like that second group of people going, well, yin, yin, yin. You know, the first group of people, you know, you've got to back up and say, you know what? We've got to put this in God's hand because the devil just wants to run us here and run us there. Make us run our mouths everywhere and have bad attitudes. But he doesn't want us going into prayer with pure hearts. No, not by any means. But I'll tell you, that's where the power is. Anyway, lastly, I just want to just mention how do people get this way? How was it these individuals got this way? I've wondered about that before. How is it that the corrupt become corrupt? And some of them, evidently, they get to a place of corruption where God knows there's no turning back for that person. They've made a decision. They spurned God. They said, I'm going to go my own way. There's no turning. I mean, how does somebody get to that? I believe it starts out with very small things. I believe it starts out with a little compromise here, a little compromise there. It's a little giving away of their integrity here. A little giving away of their character here. Maybe it's a little bit for money here. Oh, that's not a big deal. Oh, that's not really bad. Oh, da I'll take a little money for this. Oh, it's a little bribe. Blah, 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 blah. You know, they're really not guilty anyway. It's not a big deal. Oh, I'll just take the money. I need the money anyway, and they don't pay me enough anyway. And so I'll just take, I'll take the bribe. There's really nothing wrong. You know, it's a little compromise here and there for money, for power, for influence for things, stuff for success, you see, for promotion. When people begin to compromise little things in little areas to gain, they're selling themselves for what they're getting. Is it worth it? Is it worth for you to sell a part, even if it seems to you like it's a small part of your integrity, would you sell that for something else? Because once you do that, it begins to get easier and easier until after a while, you have completely sold yourself. That's what it says about Ahab. And I believe that verse where it says, there was nobody like Ahab who sold himself to do evil is exactly the process that happens in culture where there's no fear of God. People are selling then sell their character their integrity for some kind of gain at the end guess what they've got no character or integrity maybe they've got the whole world but what have they got they don't have the things that are important That's, that's the most sad thing